about the creek, the creek talk, talking about the creek, the creek talk, talking about the creek, talking about Dawson's Creek. Welcome back to Creek Talk. This is Steven. And I'm Jamie. And this week we have a very special guest. She has written for numerous TV shows, including Gilmore Girls, Californication, and a TV show that was canceled way too soon called Reunion, which was like one of my favorite shows ever. (laughs) Um, But most importantly, she wrote for Dawson's Creek from seasons three through six. And she's the author of The Spencer Diaries, a novel. Please welcome to our podcast, Gina Fattori. Oh, what a great introduction. I, I'm so happy to be here. I can't believe anyone remembers Reunion. I'm, I'm having dinner tonight with a friend who worked on that show with me. So I oh will pass God. along the compliment. Gina, I talk about that show to everybody. And like, I, I anybody that comes on the show, I bring it up. And just in random conversation, I go, I don't understand how they canceled that show in the middle of it. <laughs> I loved it, and I can't really find the episodes. I think they're on YouTube, but I'm determined to find them and watch them all still. That's I don't think they're I don't think they are out there. I think you make a good point. Like I've I've never seen that streaming anywhere, and you know, no, understandably, we didn't solve the mystery, so I don't think they want to <laughs> share that with people and then have an unsolved mystery at the uh, end of episode twelve. So yeah, I was like, how do they do that? How? <laughs> Like, what is, what is your problem, Fox Network? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it was so mad. I'm still not over it, clearly. <laughs> well, that's what we aspire to do as writers, which is to make people care a lot about what we're writing. And, uh, you know, certainly I, I appreciate that enormously. And that's what, you know, Dawson's Creek has been all these years later, that people still want to talk about it is awesome. Yeah, and Gina, trust me, um, I've got some things to ask you about some of the episodes that you've done because (laughs) I just don't understand it. So hopefully we'll get an answer from the person directly. (laughs) um, But also, I wanted to say happy belated birthday. We know that your birthday just passed. Happy belated. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm a a dangerous Gemini who's too Oh, so is Jamie. Gemini in the house. Okay, excellent. (laughs) I'm a Leo, if anybody asks. So obviously <laughs> Everybody's a Leo. Like, oh my God. Every every TV writer, director, actor. Really? I, I don't know. It's August, right? Your birthday's mm-hmm. in August? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's a difference between an August Leo and a July Leo. And I have three siblings who are July Leos, and they're very different than me. So just I've, I've only met the August ones. So we're the okay. better ones. So. <laughs> you just got to blame those, those cold winter months, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> very good math very good math there that you did. yeah that's... funny all right so i wanted to ask you or if you wanted to before we get into anything i know right now you are on would you call it the picket lines of the front lines of the wga strike that's happening right now i know it's something that affects you greatly and a lot of other writers out there um i did google it I have to be honest with you, I'm a little confused on what the whole situation is, but um, you did mention to me that it is very important to you. So if you wanted to, um, I wanted to give you a chance to just talk about it um, as long as you want. Thank you. 
That's so sweet. Yeah, I'll just say very briefly that like we are on strike against the uh, the companies, um, the you know, which is the consortium of all the companies that make TV. And uh, we did this also in 2007. And um, the thing about TV writing is that the time that I've been in, been in it since the late 90s, which is when I first got my job on Dawson's and even a little bit before that, you know, TV writing has always been a profession, not something you do on a freelance basis. Like if you get staffed on a show, you know, you're working on that show, you're working almost full time. For instance, when we made Dawson's, we worked, you know, 10 months out of the year making those 23 episodes of television. And, um, you know, we, we did assign freelance scripts to people often to the assistants who were working on the show. And, you know, the, the, the union has like specific fees that have been established for what people should make. And the freelance uh, script fee is very high. But I think what the companies want now is what we know now as the gig economy, a world where everyone is a freelancer. And so like they really would prefer a model where like, well, we just maybe we hire one writer who we would, you know, maybe call the showrunner, maybe call the head writer, maybe call the creator. And we sort of say to that person, we want you to write, you know, the whole show yourself, write and produce it yourself. And then you can assign these freelance episodes, but you can't have people making the show with you who are writer producers. And uh, it's just a way for them of cutting costs to say like, what if every, you know, show just had like, we just paid the writers the freelance fee for their, for their scripts. And uh, that'd be a way of lowering costs for them. Oh my God. That's disgusting. Yeah. So it's just part of the way that industry changed with, with streaming. And um, I mean, it's very complicated, which is why we don't have to talk about it any more than this. But <laughs> I, you know, obviously, like, this is a time when like, we put our pencils down, as we said, on, you know, midnight on, you know, May 2nd, and um, we walked away. And um, we're at a moment right now, we're about to find out if the Screen Actors Guild is also going to go on strike, which would obviously have a huge impact. Yeah. Um, and so we're just waiting to find out. But it's been like a huge privilege to be a part of a union. And um, as you mentioned, I also wrote a book, which I made like no money off of, which was published by an independent press. And the reason that I've been I support myself all these years is that, you know, television writers and movie writers, screenwriters, we're all part of a union and we stick together. And um, that's what's really just been, I don't know, for me, it's been really just life-changing to be able to support myself with my writing. Because I mean, I know so many people who are writers and creative people, and I have so much respect for them because they're doing their day job and they're doing their thing that they love. And um, it's very rare to have this privilege to be making enough money to support yourself based on um, writing, producing, directing, acting in TV. And we all really are, we, we want to fight for that. We want that to be a, a viable way to make a living and not to become another part of the gig economy. Yeah, definitely. It's it's not fair when you're feel like you're not getting like pay what you're worth either. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> fairness is everything. I I just don't Well, and that is yeah, like it's uh, we've always been compensated based on, you know, how much money the studios are making off of our work. And that's like it, it is very confusing. It has to do with like, you know, the concept of residuals is very strange to people, but you know, something like Dawson's at one point Dawson's was on Hulu and um Netflix and HBO Max at the same time. Yeah. So so were you not getting compensated for that or was it just the money was lower? 
No, we we are actually because we went on strike in 07, we established oh, okay. new media residuals that gotcha. would cover streaming. But in 07, they were trying to, you know, get out of, you know, paying like TV over the internet. They were trying to say is like not the same as TV. And of course, we were all sitting here are even though there wasn't really streaming in 07, the actual process of making a show is making a show you know right. like you've got to have the crew you've got to have the scripts you've got to have the actors like you know if, if you want to make a really oh. you know good looking show that's all the same so the, whether you're watching it whether it's coming to you through cable coming to you over the internet all of that stuff it's it's all the same stuff so i mean it's yeah. it's something that we really appreciate sense. we've gotten a lot of good support for our action and we we hate that it you know, it's really hurting the economy of Los Angeles, but we have to show them that we're serious. Otherwise, they will just keep trying to take advantage because, frankly, a lot of people have the same dream that I had when I was eight years old, which is they want to be a writer. And yeah. when it's your dream, you're often willing when you're younger to just say like, well, OK, I'll do it for X amount of money. But because we're a, a union, there's a minimum amount of money that you have to make if, if they you know, if you're going to come into this industry. So um, it makes it so much uh, better for for people who are who are just starting out. And uh, and we want them to continue to grow and to just have. I mean, honestly, I still wake up every day and I'm surprised that I'm not answering the phone at King of the Hill. And I've had this amazing, amazing ride of working on all these shows. And so we want to, what we're fighting for is just to preserve that as a career that yeah. people can pursue full time. Well, I really hope that, you know, they come to an agreement with everything and it, you know, yeah. everybody gets compensated what they should be compensated. And, you know, it's, that's what yeah. unions are for, you know. I mean, I, I had a union when I worked in a supermarket. It's kind of the same thing, but I get it. But. It is the same thing. I mean, it's only by standing together that yeah, you exactly. can really yeah. make progress. Yeah. yeah. And I see on um, Instagram, everybody posting all their pictures and, um, you know, I always steal some and post them on our stories, which, <laughs> you know, because I, mean, I didn't understand what it was at first. And then I started looking into it and um, I'm glad that you explained it, though. I also Googled it and it said that there's a website called Entertainment Community Fund where you can like donate. Is that something that you're familiar with? Yes, that's so wonderful. That's uh, I made a donation myself um, and uh, people are doing different uh, fundraising goals. So the Entertainment Community Fund, uh, actually during COVID, um, they handed out, uh, gave out a lot of money. Um, it's really not just for writers, it's for everyone who works in any kind of production. And mm. you can apply to get some assistance, um, a grant or I don't I think, I'm not sure if it's a grant or a loan. It, most of them are grants, I think, that you don't have to pay back. But um, it's really an amazing organization. And, uh, um, you know, not, not just for writers, because honestly, as production has stopped, everybody who works on the shows has been, um, you know, forced to take this break, which, you know, a lot of us in this industry are used to living a life where you go from show to show. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still incredibly hard for everybody to not, you know, just to suddenly have the paycheck stop is right. just really hard. So yeah. that is, um, yeah, that's uh, anything we can do to to channel some funds their way um, is, is, is great. Yeah, we'll definitely link it in our um yes in our in our show notes. So cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll make it available. So if anybody listening is interested and wants to take a look at it and get some information, it'll be there. So you can just go ahead and click away. Donate. Yeah. 
So Gina, you mentioned that you wanted to be a writer since you were eight years old. So can I ask what made you want to be a writer and what is it that got you into writing and what was your first writing gig for TV? Okay. Well, so the first part of that is like, I mean, I probably shouldn't have said eight. It was probably more like 10 when I, um, I went to the, I went to the young authors conference. I I grew up in a town called Valparaiso, Indiana, um, which is like the kind of town where there's one high school and everybody goes to the football or basketball game every Friday. So I was really bummed that I never, (laughs) I never got to work on Friday night lights. I was very bummed about that because that, yeah. It's really quintessential American high school experience. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. I I really, I didn't really understand at that point, the idea of being a TV writer. Like, I mean, I, you know, it was the seventies when I was 10 years old. So like, you know, that wasn't, people just didn't, I mean, TV was there, but nobody had any sense of how it was actually created. So me wanting to be a writer was all about really about books and, and, you know, and journalism, which was, you know, uh, something that I kind of knew I could do. I was, when I was 15, I sent something to the Chicago Tribune and it got published and, and, you know, I was always just on this path of trying to figure out how to be a writer. And um, one of the things I had in my head, I guess, was that like, I should go to New York. And mm-hmm. so when it came time for college, I applied to Columbia University in New York City and I got in. Um, oh, wow. And- yeah, that was like making my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, uh, they have a very famous film school there, but when I went, it really, there was no undergraduate film program of any kind. And I don't think I would have been interested in that anyway, because again, I was obsessed with books. I was an English major. Um, and when I graduated, I, you know, was like, okay, I want to get a job at a magazine. I want to, you know, couldn't get any of those jobs. Like actually had an interview at the New Yorker, did not get that job, did not get many jobs. And then the job that I got is what led to me being a TV writer, because the job that I got, I was working at the New York Public Library in the fundraising office. And I worked for the head of major gifts and planned giving. And um, I worked for her for only about a year or so, but her son is a television writer. And so he, she essentially introduced me to her son and many years later, like five years later, when he actually had a deal that he was working um, on this new show that he was going to create, she said to me, I think you should move to LA, you should work for Greg and he should help you be a TV writer. So that is, her name's Judy Daniels, and she is like my fairy godmother and my first agent. And her son is Greg Daniels, who created the American version of The Office. And when I worked for him, he created King of the Hill with my Oh, that's so crazy. Oh, my God. That's really cool. (laughs) Like the ultimate, like, good luck, fairy godmother story. Yeah, like, yeah, quite a connection. <laughs> you didn't even really have to network. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, 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 it's such a crazy story that I often remind people, like, I am a spinster. I've never been married. I've never had any good luck when it comes to that. But I have the ultimate, you know, uh, basically like career, career luck. And and it's, I mean, I obviously like, I just, I don't know. Judy was someone who she just saw something in me. And I used to do this newsletter that I would send to her even after I stopped working for her. So that's the part of it that like with writers, there's always luck. And there's also like, what's the work? What are you writing? Like, what are you actually doing? And how are you trying to get it out there into the world? So 
it's those two things came together for me in that moment perfectly. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like one of those stories you hear when like, you know, you hear an actor walking down the street and they're like, I want to cast you in this movie. And you're like, how? How does that happen? (laughs) But that's amazing. Um, Everybody loves The Office. Like, you know, everybody, it's like, it's getting such a, um, uh, what's the word? Like everybody's watching it again. Like they did with Friends. And yes, like a a sort of a renaissance. Yeah, like a rebirth. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. Um, So King of the Hill was your first writing gig. Yeah, so I was the showrunner's assistant on King of the Hill from the time when when Greg Daniels and Mike Judge were first coming together and, and working on the show. I was basically the first employee of the show because I was the only person who was there at the beginning. And then like I became the showrunner's assistant when we got picked up and became a show. And season two, I wrote an episode of the show. Oh and that God. was the um, first thing that I ever wrote for TV. And that's how I got an agent and sort of got launched. So then after I was never a, an actual writer on the writing staff there. I was an assistant. And then I I got my first job was actually on like a multicam sitcom um, that didn't last for very long, but really got me launched. And then when that got canceled, I was sitting around and I was like, okay, my agent was like, you need a new writing sample. This King of the Hill thing doesn't work for you as a writing sample. Like it's animated. It's like, I don't think this is you. This isn't really what you want to write. And so I wrote an Allie McBeal spec script which is like what we all did back in the day was you would just pick a show and you would try to write it. And it Mm -hmm. sounds crazy, but like, this is what we did. Like it was a, you know, kind of, can you teach yourself to recreate the tone and style of that show? And I did, so I chose to do an Ally McBeal, which was a big show in that moment that was kind of comedy and drama combined. And um, my agent, I sent it to him and he was like, I don't really know what to think about this, but I'm going to give it to one of my clients, this guy, Paul. So he gave it to this, the client turned out to be Paul Stupid, who was the non-writing producer of Dawson's Creek, who had really, you know, put the show together and had Kevin Williamson write a high school show. And like, Paul was really the person who just made Dawson's happen. And, uh, so he asked Paul to read it and Paul was like, well, I'd like to meet her. And I think if she could write Allie McBeal this well, and it sounds like Allie McBeal's, I think she could write Dawson's. And um, it was right at the point when Kevin Williamson was actually leaving the show. And so I never met with him, but Paul Stupin just hired me. He just said, you know, welcome aboard. Oh my God. This is so fascinating. <laughs> like so into it. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Cause I did, I did see that you, you came on season three. Um, what was it like knowing that Kevin Williamson, who created the show, was leaving and you were coming on to, like, I guess, essentially replace with other writers this, you know, man who created the show that was so popular with, like, teens and everything? Were you, like, nervous or were you just like, let's <laughs> just do this? <laughs> I think this is the point in my career where I didn't know enough to be nervous. Okay. You know? <laughs> But um, like I should have been because, yeah, it was a very odd situation. Um, my my colleague and friend, Jeffrey Stepakoff, who was also on the staff of Dawson season three, has actually written a book where he talks a lot about season three on Dawson's. But I have it. Like, Do you have it? <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but I have it. Sorry. I mean, it's, it's a lot about Dawson's and also a lot just about the TV industry in general. Yeah. But that first day, season three, Dawson's Creek in the writer's room, um, there were maybe 10 of us. I forget now, but 
Greg Berlanti was the only person in that room who had been on season two. Mm -hmm. So we were an entirely new group of people. It wasn't like just me coming in new. We were all new except for Greg. And Greg Berlanti had been a staff writer on season two. So, and he knew Kevin quite well. And um, having done these 22 episodes with him in season two, he wasn't on season one, but, you know, he, he really was there for all of season two. So he really was the person who kind of knew the show and understood the show. He was really the only person the actors knew at all, like in once Kevin left. Right. And uh, so it was like, I think at first I didn't know enough to be nervous about this. And now I've been doing this for so long. I understand that that's at, is actually a really key moment in the life of a show because when a show begins, hopefully the creator and the writer, you know, creates this bond with the other writers and with the actors and the crew and, you know, gives them a great sense of, you know, uh, purpose and everyone comes together and figures out what the show is together. And um, when that leader who has launched the show leaves, it is a very hard moment for everybody involved. Well, personally, I remember watching it and I look up to Kevin Williamson so much. Like he really is like one of my biggest idols. And um my my dream is for him to come on here. He never will, but I I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> He's a lot um, busier than I am. So probably yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, just give me like 20 minutes. <laughs> but I did I did meet him years ago at the Dawson's Creek finale. Um but um I was that's I was, when I met him. I mean, he like I didn't meet him until the show ended, and he oh my came, God. like Dawson's Creek Day in Wilmington, and like yeah, he came. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I met him. Oh my God, you were there then. I was. We were probably oh in the God. crowd was, together. Oh my God, I was so hungover. Like I'm ashamed. I really, if you knew me, you'd know I am not a drinker. And there were like margaritas on the camera truck the last night that we were shooting. And I drank way too many of them. And then the next day it was like, you're going to sit out in the hot sun in downtown Wilmington and listen to speeches. And I was like, oh God, this is. Oh no. (laughs) I have it on VHS still. My friend, like, (laughs) yeah, I have to like get it on DVD or something. And like, or you know, you USB. Get it digitally done, yeah. Yeah. Need a digital copy of that. But I mean, honestly, that's so sweet because the show, you know, as I'm sure all the fans know, you know, Kevin wrote that pilot, like really based on his own life in so many ways. And, and uh, so, you know, that's, that's lovely. Did you actually live in Wilmington then? Or did you live nearby? I'm from Philly. Well, I lived in the suburbs of Philly. I live in Philly right now. Um, But um, we would go to North Carolina the we went during the fifth and sixth season and then we did one tree hill like during the second season and then we just sure. stopped after that right so one tree hill was not a good show to me. <laughs> but we love this city so much and we love the show so much that right. that's why we did it and when we found out that they were doing this big um thing yeah. on, the, on the creek and all this stuff it- we were like we have to stay <laughs> like we yeah. have to go to this and we did and that's when i met um I mean, I met all the actors throughout the years doing it, but they were uh-huh. all so friendly when yeah. we were there. Like, I don't know what happened, you know, but there was like me and my my two friends. And then we met my friend who, um, my friend Melissa, who from Canada and her two friends. And we're still friends to this day. We oh. were just at this random spot and there were trailers. And one by one, they were like coming out of their trailers. And we were like, what is happening? <laughs> and we ended up getting pictures of them there. But um. The day I met Kevin Williamson, I've said this already so many times, but um, 
he was uh, with his assistant and I was so fascinated, um, like entranced by Katie Holmes because I was so like, I loved Katie Holmes, you know? And my friend was like, Steven, like come here. And I was like, what? And I was just like, just staring at Katie Holmes. And she was like, um, it's uh, Kevin Williamson. I was like, what? And he goes, um, I go, oh my God, it's you. And he goes, yeah, I know you. And I was like, you know me. And his assistant was like, yeah, we have like a hundred of your headshots in our desk drawer. Cause I was sending him a headshot like all the time. Cause I wanted to like, <laughs> I was like acting back then. Right, um, right. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like so shocked. <laughs> and I, you know, I met him and I shook his hand and he got a picture with me. He was very nice. And um, I was, I always like, remember that it was such a big deal to me. And now I just constantly DM him seeing a full response back to me. And he never does. <laughs> but like you said, he's a very busy person. So yes, um, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's, that's so funny that you were there. I really do have to find um, or somehow figure out how to watch it because I don't have a VCR anymore and see if I can find you in the audience. <laughs> I mean, I, I just remember, yeah, like it was a hot day. It must have been in May and yeah. the rap party was that night and like it was just a little ceremony. And I, I remember Kevin saying something very heartfelt and sweet, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember a ton. <laughs> <'cause>, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Really? I love it. I love it though. We have a weird connection. It's so funny. It's a, it's a margarita connection too. Uh, Stephen oh, yeah. loves margaritas. Love margarita. I mean, I have to admit, like, I, it's one thing that I can't say no to. Like, Me either. Oh, I don't think a, anybody can say no to margaritas. No, we did a hangout <laughs> recently because we do like a Patreon thing. We we recap Young Americans. You know that show that was like a spinoff. Do I know Young Americans? <laughs> did I not write the character of Will in episode three right. twenty, where bad. we were like attempting to help them with their right. creation of? She's Stephen. <laughs> can I wait? Can I ask you real quick? That show was totally filmed before the character came on Dawson's Creek, correct? I would doubt that. I would guess, I honestly don't remember this, but I would guess what had happened was that they made a pilot okay. and like they had the pilot and then they were probably, maybe it was happening simultaneously. Like they could okay. have been like shooting the episodes of the show because there can't be more than 12 episodes of that, right? Like there's I, only I mean, eight. I there's eight, yeah. Okay, I mean, I didn't even know it was available for people to watch. Like I oh, thought- it's not. Like, we found it on some like janky website that our friend told us about. And wow. the, some of the episodes are good. Some of them are not so good. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just know that it was basically like explained to us. We had to have this character be on Dawson's. I think he's in three episodes actually, because I'm pretty yeah. sure he's in the one, I think he's in 19, 20 and 21 of season yeah. three. And um, the actor was very sweet. The poor guy like is coming into like, I mean, we were, you know, our cast was at that point had made, you know, 35 like 55 episodes of tv together or whatever yeah. it was so like yeah it was um but i i don't even remember what the premise of the show was anymore honestly oh, <laughs> oh it was very well, interesting <laughs> the, so rodney scott's character will krutsky is going to the raleigh academy which is like in the same town as him it's like for rich kids and he gets okay. a scholarship but he like lied about it and then his friend his best friend is bella played by kate bosworth and what? she may or may not be related to this other guy, Scout, who's played by Mark Thamaglietti. I can never say his name. Obviously, I have, a tr I have trouble with last names. And um, <laughs> they make out. And our whole thing was 
please let us know by the end of this show that they are not related because this is so disgusting. <laughs> and I, the pilot was probably like the best episode. There was probably like two or three other episodes that were decent, but this show right. literally goes nowhere. Um, wow. And Ian Summerholder Holder's in it, and Kate Moaning's in it. It's look, it's a cute show. I think everybody on that cast is extremely attractive. They still are to this day. And, um, you know, I thought it would be a fun thing to do when Will Krutsky showed up and we were like, let's do a Patreon. What can we do? (laughs) And it's been a roller coaster. (laughs) I mean, I I applaud you guys for taking the plunge. I, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the WB was if not nothing, if not brilliant in their casting and obviously you know i know someone on here is a buffy fan so that is another example of yeah what an amazing show with like you know just totally like a cast to die for do you remember the show glory days that was on the wb that was another kevin williamson show. i feel like that was kevin's show yeah yeah, yeah. okay so i think I, Poppy Montgomery and Eddie Cahill and it's the coming girl- back to me. It's like a writer who goes, it's sort of like a murder she wrote yes. idea, maybe. Like yeah, yeah. it's like scary. Um, so we're gonna yeah. do that next. And I think it'll be a lot funner to do. So because I really yeah. did enjoy that show when it aired. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm new to it, so we have the we have our dynamic good, again. So it's good energy, energy good right. energy. Yeah, yeah. 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 so you get your older perspective and then your new person perspective. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like the, I, the funny, I've realized this many times before, but like the process and the, the time that I spent making Dawson's Creek, those four years of my life, like m- most of the t- other TV shows that were on, I did not watch. Yeah. So like, basically, I mean, like hilariously, like Felicity, I've only seen like two episodes of that, like the West Wing, <laughs> like, like all these shows that I'm like, I should go back and watch those shows. But like, we were just so busy all the time. And like, I mean, I obviously I watched TV like crazy. That's part of what made me a TV writer was I spent my whole childhood like watching like, you know, Dallas and Dynasty and Hill Street Blues and like just watching TV constantly. And I know I was watching TV during those years, but um, somehow, yeah, there just was there weren't enough hours, I guess. to watch. There's never enough hours, but yeah, there's oh. never but I guess it also helped because if you were watching all those other shows while you're writing, wouldn't it almost be like, oh, I have this great idea. Oh, wait, it just happens. Inspiration. Honestly, like we would often pitch things to the WB executives. Like we, you know, everything has to be cleared with them. We do nowadays you might more do outlines. We did pitch phone calls back then, but like they would always say like they're, they just did that on Felicity and I would just go scream in the hallway. You right. know, like I'm just like, ah. You know, and so, yeah. And honestly, I think that was the joke sort of that when I, I, I think the shows that I did watch during that time were so drastically different than Dawson's. Like, honestly, I had this friend who was obsessed with Oz on HBO, which is like a truly revolutionary show that people sort of forgot about yeah. um, created by Tom Fontana. And like, you show. know, right before the Sopranos kind of, it was out there. And so then like, he got me hooked on Oz and I was like, okay, so my job is I write Dawson's Creek and then I go home at night and like watch Oz. And like, there's <laughs> never so any good. overlap ever between these two things. What a vast so, difference too. <laughs> You're like, wait, I got a great idea. So Pacey gets shanked somewhere in uh, <laughs> downtown. <laughs> yeah, no, no. no Everybody no. would be up in arms if anything happened to Pacey. Let's be honest. I mean, for sure, for sure. Um, Heartbreaking. 
what was it like working for the WB? Was it like difficult? Was it like a dream come true? Was it like annoying that you would, like you said, you'll go scream in the hallway, which is like, you know, every job too, but. <laughs> I mean, this is terrible, but I mean, obviously like it's. it's not around uh, anymore. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, like I, I like I was, so I, God, now I have to do the math. I think I was 31 years old when I got the job on Dawson's. And to be honest, like when Dawson's, the show first hit would have been like, you know, because I wasn't on season one, right? So it was 98, it was like 98 maybe, 97, yeah. 98, I think when, when it first came on. And, and I knew so many people who were telling me, you got to watch Dawson's and Katie Holmes is on the cover of Rolling Stone. And you know, people were like, oh, Dawson's, Dawson's, Dawson's. And I was like, you know what? I am 30 years old and I gave my heart to my so-called life. And that is it. I am done with teen shows. Like I just, you know, there, there weren't even, you know, there, I wasn't even the biggest fan of Beverly Hills 90210, to be honest. So like for me, the idea of falling in love with my so-called life. And that was one of the shows that just like, you know, when I was first starting out, Party 5 was also still on when I was first mm-hmm. starting out. And like, you know, those were the shows that like, I really, really loved the writing on those shows. And um, so Dawson's just wasn't on my radar, I guess. And like, I really, like when I got the interview, honestly, I had to, I had this friend who taped everything. Like he, he, he probably is still recording things actually now if it's possible. But anyway, I was like, okay, what do you got for me? And I, he gave me on video, like all of season one and season two, like on VHS tapes. And like, cause I, I basically had to show up at work first day. I was like, I haven't been watching the show. They've now hired me. I've got to watch all 35 episodes. So thankfully I did know people who, who loved it. Um, And, you know, already, obviously the WB with Buffy and Dawson's was like a a phenomenal, you know, it was a phenomenon of the moment. But, um, but yeah, I was just like, I mean, basically my age, I had started out wanting to be a comedy writer and to work in half hour. And, you know, uh, my agent was like, just take this job on Dawson's. And if you get fired, well, you can try and go back to comedy. You'll be fine. And then like, I just did not get fired for four <laughs> years, which is very rare in my line of work because like everybody gets fired, you know, and which is another reason we need a union protecting us because people yeah. get fired constantly. And uh, so, so yeah, it was like, you know, it was in retrospect, it was a very exciting place to be. Um, certainly when like, you know, Josh Jackson cut off all his hair and Felicity cut off all her hair. It was yeah. an exciting place to be. But at the time I, I didn't have a sense that it was, I mean, I was just like reporting for duty. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to look at things, though, too. I mean, I couldn't even imagine being 31 working for like a network like that. But um, it's so interesting. I mean, I mean, I that was old. Die. Like that was the joke it's, is that yeah, back then it is. old because Berlanti was 25, I think, or 20. 20- six Berlanti, Berlanti was 26 I think and I was 31 so like I already felt old I mean I guess also old to be working on a high school show in a way but like I think that you know the reason that high school shows honestly that people I think watch them over and over again and the reason why you know those of us who did not get fired on Dawson's Creek I used to think were the ones who kind of 
had a more difficult time as a teenager and yeah. that the people who had actually enjoyed being a teenager, like they were not so great at writing the show and they, it's not as relatable. It's easier to relate, you know what I mean? To real life situations than like the perfect cut, you know, cookie cutter life. So yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. To me. And then <laughs> the to signature idea of the show that it was just, you know, the word back then, I guess it still applies. is just angst, you know, that Dawson yeah. Creek was this angsty show yeah. and that, like if you if you weren't a person who really you know if you were just more of like the partying kind of person who just bopped around and like you know whatever and it was all good and you had a bunch of relationships with whatever and went to You're the like prom. sleeping with your teacher it's like totally normal <laughs> I mean I I missed that part of it I only experienced that as a viewer but um but yeah like it it was I'm watching it now. It's crazy. (laughs) I don't think I have gone back and watched it. I mean, I used to rewatch the pilot a ton when I was actually writing the show, but Mm. I haven't gone back and watched it. That the pilot is my favorite episode. And I watched that episode so many times. Like we'll be, when we did it, I was like reciting it. And Jamie's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I still do like certain. It's impressive, honestly. It literally is one of those shows that just affected me. And it's still, you know, I took a break from it from a long time. And then when we started doing it again, um, when we got into season two, I said to Jamie, Mm -hmm. I'm getting PTSD. I was like, I don't think I can. That was hard. That was hard for you. You know, like when you relate certain things to certain experiences in your life and you're like, oh, I feel so weird right now. I don't know if I can watch this, but obviously you got through it. But it's, (laughs) it really is such an important show. And, um, I'm glad that people are watching it now, like young people. I know they probably think it's like, what are they saying? But right. <laughs> I totally felt it all back then. I was like, I get it. I totally get it. Now I watch it. And it is it is like, just get it out. <laughs> it's like, get it out. But why aren't we communicating? And I have to go, Stephen, remember, they're high schoolers. <laughs> I know. I know. They don't have this wisdom yet. Everything's complicated. <laughs> Well, that was one of the questions that we did have to ask you. Um, so, okay. So <laughs> I noticed going through all the episodes that you had written, you wrote a lot of really great episodes, Gina, and you wrote a lot of the season finales. Um, I do want to kind of keep it with just where we're kind of at with the show, because I, mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember anything after what we're doing right now. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> I did look up the premise just to, but I was like, we'll just keep it what we've already recapped. Um, But um, so when you started on season three, which was the Eve season, which Mm -hmm. people are like, I don't understand why she was here and all this stuff. And watching it back now, it's just like, it is what it is. Like, you know what? (laughs) They obviously got tired of that character. They didn't know where to go with her. And they just moved on to the Pacey and Joey situation. Um, that's how I took it. I mean, would you, would you like disagree with me? <laughs> I mean, it was a lot more complicated than that, but, I'm that's sure. fair, but that's a pretty fair summary of what happened. I mean, we have this joke in, in TV, like the old way we used to make TV. If you wanted to change something, it was like turning an ocean liner. So mm-hmm. like, because, you know, you have to write it and shoot it and edit it and like any, you know, it, you have to, it takes six episodes to basically change the narrative of the show. And that was exactly the same point where, um, you know, Kevin Williamson had left. We had a new person coming in who was, you know, kind of technically the head writer. And, um, but at the same time, Greg Berlanti was, you know, the only person who'd 
ever written an episode of the show before. And so his input really meant a lot. And um, yeah, as we were kind of moving through that storyline and it was just like, wow, this is not working out. You know, we had like a change in leadership and so much chaos behind the scenes. And we had to really throw out a bunch of scripts that had been either written or outlined, you know, wow. which is a lot of work to actually create an outline. Yeah. And, um, and we had to shift gears and we changed the direction of the show. And we, yeah, we really just all the way from basically episode eight through like, I guess like I wrote 15 and 16, eight through 17, we were sort of writing like on the fly very oh, quickly. Wow. Uh, many of them group writing to the point where we would say like, okay, you know, we come up with a new story and then it's like, everybody go home tonight and write two scenes and tomorrow we're going to have half a show. So like wow. no, that is not the normal way you would, it is a way that you can write TV. It's not the normal way that people do it. So um, especially season three is a little more burned in my mind just because <laughs> it was very traumatic. Oh. And I was very, very lucky that year because I wrote seven episodes and then my contract that I signed, you know, I was guaranteed two. So wow. seven is a lot more than two, you know, yeah. like it's, yeah. it just, things got very chaotic. And the reason I worked on all so many season finales is also just that like, I was there every year. And by the time you get to the end, like in those 23, 24 episode seasons of television, honestly, everybody is just really exhausted. And so frequently it was just easier to like split those episodes up and, you know, just say, okay let's each write a half script, you know, and, and just do it together, which is honestly, all of TV writing is so weirdly collaborative that I think it's almost impossible to explain to people like how TV gets made. And nowadays we have with these streaming shows that have very few episodes, it's closer to the British way of television where one writer just writes, you know, like Fleabag, like six half hours of TV or something. And a lot of people love that and think that's great, but there's really something to be said for this, this other system, which, you know, not that Dawson's is a great show, but like so many great shows like ER and, um, you know, my God, like law and order for decades and, oh, no. and um, on the comedy side, even more so like friends and King of the Hill and the Simpsons and, and the office and, and parks and rec and like, you know, writing staffs have created these wonderful shows, like working together as a team. I prefer those type of shows anyways, though, because I feel like with the other ones, there's never enough. Like you want more, like you, you're running out too quickly and I'm a binger. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can appreciate, I've lived through it where we had to wait every week to watch an episode. I'm so glad that I don't really have to do that anymore because that was the worst. Um, but you're, you're taking, you know, these 20 something episodes and then instead you're like, no, we're going to give you 10. And I mean, I'm like, but no, <laughs> that's not enough for me. They should, yeah. they should just, you know, stick with it. <laughs> I applaud that. Well said. Well said. <laughs> how, how was it like allocated to like, when they were like, all right, you're going to write this week's episode. Was it like, was there like a formula to it, formula to it? Or was it like, I don't, I never understood. Well, I mean, honestly, a bunch of shows that I've worked on have, we have operated in the same sort of way of writing TV. Like for instance, like Parenthood, Gilmore Girls, Dawson's, um, shows like this. And the Dawson's models in particular though, is just, we 
we basically work together as a group to what we call break the story, which actually just means outlining the story. But when you're outlining the story, that means every single scene that is in the show has to be up there, like on the board. Like nowadays when I do it, I use no cards, but back then we always had just like a big white board in the room. And the, the way this process works is that, you know, I think people forget about this because you think of writing and you think of just the part where you're sitting there writing the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And like, that's kind of what we all, you know, I mean, obviously, especially with writers like Kevin Williamson and Amy Sherman Palladino and Aaron Sorkin, who are so known for their dialogue. But so much of screenwriting is really deciding which scenes do you need to tell your story. And when we were making Dawson's, of course, we didn't have a ton of money. So there was obviously like a real formula, tight formula that we had to stay within to make the show. And, um, but I, I have you know, kind of been following this system throughout my career of like, let's get together in the room. We will come up with the best, you know, the showrunner will normally say, this is what I want the story to be this week. This is what I want to happen to these characters. Like the easiest way to explain this is the one that I wrote that's called The Longest Day. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, the instruction was just, this is the one where Dawson finds out about Joey and Pacey. So then like you'd have a room full of people, which is usually just everybody who's not off on assignment. It could just be two people if that's all you've got. And you just keep trying to come up with like, what is the sequence of scenes that we think is right to tell this story? And then once you have that, you have an outline. And the outline at that point, um, what the writer of the episode is doing is once the outline has been approved by the showrunner and it's been approved by the network and you're good to go, you go off and in an ideal universe, you have two weeks to write the draft that matches that outline. So you write, you know, the actual dialogue and the actual actions and you, you make it come to life. And that's the first draft. And then often if there's time, you get notes and you do a second draft or maybe a third draft. Um, But if there's not time, the showrunner, the head writer will just take the script and frankly, rewrite you. And I mean, that's kind of, I always joke, like, that's what the money is for. Like, that's what they're paying you for. Because it's really hard. You feel like you failed and you're like, oh, but I thought my version was good or whatever it is you're thinking. But the showrunner and the head writer just needs it to be done really quickly the way he or she wants it to be. So often they'll just rewrite it. And um, on the first day of what we call prep, when the you know director of the episode is ready to go, that script has to be ready to go. And you know, eight days later, there has to be another script. Like wow. that's the way TV works. So um, really having a, a system for producing those scripts is is what you know a really well run show is never behind on scripts and and can really yeah. deliver those scripts to the crew on time and the actors on time. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was like, Jesus Christ, did you ever get behind in anything? Or were you just like on top of it constantly? Or were they like, yeah. kind of had to be, yeah. yeah? Yeah, well, that's what happened season three is again, we got so far behind. That's why we were group writing. All right. We didn't have, you know, necessarily the time to to assign scripts. And um, we were just rewriting things desperately at the last minute. And that happens. I mean, obviously that happens a ton, like things just go wrong. But um, it's it really was, I mean, it's, you know, not as many shows are made this way nowadays with the Netflix model, what they'll do is they'll write all of the scripts and then they'll shoot that material, which is exactly how you would make a movie, right? Like if you you had a movie, you'd be like, here's 120 pages. Now we're going to come up with a plan for how to 
shoot this. We're going to hire actors. We're going to hire crew. We're going to make it. And um, that's how they make like giant episode. Yeah. Like they make these, you know, Netflix shows, they make them like that. They write the whole thing and then they shoot them. Um, but, but that is not how we did, you know, those big, epi- big seasons of television. We would do them where we were writing and shooting at the same time. And the writers would start working usually June 1st. The actors would start working at near the end of July. And so we had a like a six week head start on them, maybe seven or eight weeks to produce material, produce outlines, produce scripts. And then the whole rest of the year, we're just trying to make sure we can keep supplying them with scripts on time. Wow. That's so interesting. I'm like trying to imagine what it is. So I write a little bit. I'm not like (laughs) anything crazy, but I like have short stories and stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm the same way with, with it. Like I literally just like, okay, this, 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 this is what I need in my story. And then you just kind of go off of that outline to build the actual story itself. And then you go through it again and then you go through it again. It's a very time process. It's a, it's a process. So I like the way that, you know what I mean? The way that you guys were doing it, it's just like, I don't know how you guys, I so much I mean, credit, man, because one story is hard enough for me. So to, to literally come up with these little stories constantly, you know what I mean? To, to bring forth the main, the main story is uh it's impressive and amazing. You guys are, you guys are wonderful. Well, thank you. But I mean, you said the key word, which is process and, and also yeah. like rewriting, like you said, you do with your own work, which is like, you know, when you rewrite, you find stuff and it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having that process, and I think sometimes, you know, like the showrunner often gets to set the process for everyone else. And then everyone else who works on the show is a little bit frustrated because they can't kind of have their own process. They have to be on board with however the showrunner wants to do it. But I think that, yeah, like really, I don't know. I'm in awe because honestly, I mean, I think maybe every episode of Dawson's has like three storylines in it. And like TV has gotten so much more complicated today. And, Mm. you know, like you watch even just a typical show or whatever, there's way more scenes, way more characters, way more story threads. You know, we had, I mean, looking back, I'm sure there were probably about, gosh, like four acts and a teaser, there were probably like 20 scenes in every episode of Dawson's. So it was like economical to shoot that amount of material. Um, Most of the scenes have two, only two people in them Mm -hmm. because it's faster and quicker to shoot a scene with only two people in it. Um, So, I mean, I, I always say, because it's true, Dawson's Creek was my film school. So really like that was the other amazing thing is that I had been an English major and I had, you know, I didn't write short stories, but I tried to write essays and I, you know, was much more interested in prose when I was young. So I didn't really know exactly how, you know, a show came together. Even when I was an assistant, I worked on an animated show, which is a completely different process. (laughs) So yeah, like really just, I learned so much from Dawson's and I like, you know, I, I got choked up and started crying when I saw Michelle, Michelle Williams, like talking about Dawson's when she yeah. accepted that award last year. Cause I, I feel the same way, obviously of just, you know, it really taught me so much and um, I met some great people and that's, I mean, any job that you have in your life, if you learned a lot and you got paid and you met some good people, that's all you can ask. Yeah, that's how me and Jamie met. We work, we work together, and now we're best friend <laughs> podcast hosts. <laughs> I do. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
you mentioned the longest day. Oh, wait, before we go, did you notice? Uh, so you wrote Northern Lights as well. Did you notice my background? I did that for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my God. That's a, that's an episode that no one remembers. But like, I do remember, oh, we remember. very well. Yes, because also in addition to like, that was maybe the second episode I'd written on my own. And uh, it also weirdly, it snowed in Wilmington, North Carolina, while we were making that episode of television. Oh, that's and so funny. It does not normally snow in North Carolina. That was very special. You know what? Yeah, because they were in that episode, they were all in heavy coats. And and um, I, I we're always so confused on the time frame of everything. I mean, they're supposed oh. to be in Massachusetts, right? Like, yeah. that's the joke of the show is it's supposed to be Cape Cod. And really, as I believe the devoted and very smart fans have pointed out, there's many, many like North Carolina signs within the show. And yeah. like, you know, things got slipped by. It is, it's so funny too watching season five because they're like, they shoot downtown. It's like, they're clearly oh, still in Cape Side. Yes, <laughs> that's what we went banners. to. We went to Boston. <laughs> yeah. Yes, like season five, but we went to Duke. We went to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Raleigh Durham. Like, you know, we were trying to mix it up a little bit. It's so 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 funny. Um, so the longest day. Okay, so Gina, we have to tell you. I always remember watching this and being like, "Oh my god, this episode of TV." Like, I can't wait to recap this because I always remember being such an important episode of the season. And then when we went to recap it, we were so lost. And I I feel <laughs> so bad for people who listen back to, the, to that episode because we are like, uh-huh. here we go again. <laughs> but I was like, I can only imagine what it was like for the writers writing this because they're probably so like frustrated doing this. Um, I mean, I don't know, but I know for us, I was like, I can't wait till we're done doing this episode. It was so difficult. <laughs> it was, it was a little difficult to recap. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, for me, it's one of my best memories, truly. It was like, honestly, it was so exciting because like every part of it was exciting. Like I said, like our instruction at the top was just like, this is the episode where um, Dawson finds out about Joey and Pacey. And like, I, when I started breaking the story, I put that, I put a bunch of scenes up on the board and I had the third act break, which is the third commercial break would normally be like the height of the dramatic action, right. In any episode of television. And then the fourth act back then, we only had four acts would have been like the resolution, right. And the sort of mm-hmm. falling action. So I put that moment at the end of act three, cause I just thought that's a typical episode of Dawson's Creek. Like you build up to, and you have this big moment and Greg Berlanti just came in the room and he looked at, it. I must've been trying to like pitch it to him and explain what I thought the episode should look like. And he just basically said, make the third act break the first act break. Oh. So at that point, then I was like, okay, wait a minute. But then like, the idea of changing the chronological order and all that, like we just started playing around with it. And like, I was lucky enough to be, it was my episode. It was my first draft. So I really kind of, and I was there on the set also when we were prepping and shooting it. And um, so I wrote it and then Greg like rewrote many parts of it. And we, it was kind of just me and him going back and forth, trying to make it into something. And honestly at the table read of that script, which I've said this, I think in other, on other podcasts, it was a really wonderful moment in my life because we had had such a hard time that year and everybody was just upset and like you know either the actors weren't loving the scripts or like you know the writers were like getting fired and leaving and we had turmoil and um 
everybody just loved that script and they got it. Like as they were reading it out loud, the minute that it started over again, I think they got it, that it was different. And mm-hmm. then they just sort of got on board. And for me, it was such an amazing, exciting moment. And I told my older sister about it later and she, she was a teacher and she was like, that's like a teaching moment. You know, that's just yeah. like how great that feels when like, it's like, oh, okay. Everybody got what I was trying to do. So I'm, and I'm the director, Perry Lang, amazing. Like, you know, he taught me so much because he was a more experienced director than I was as a writer. And um, it's just a wonderful memory for me. Oh, I feel like I kind of shit on it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not everybody has to love it. Like I, I, I honestly, I, when I got to make my own show, which is called Dare Me that I did with the novelist, Megan Abbott based on her novel, Dare Me. Um, That's currently streaming on Netflix, we hope, until they take it off. But um, I did another episode like that that was told out of... Um, out of chronological order where the story is told from three different points of view. And um, that was kind of how we did that, you know, Dawson's, which is like the first act is Pacey, second act is Joey, the third act is Dawson. So um, I was so thrilled to be able to do it again. So I actually think the second one I made is is better than the first, which is not to, you know, I no, thought it was fun. No, I yeah. thought it was like it was it was very fun. It's just that because of the timeline and the back and forth, it was just harder to recap. But the way that the episode played out was genius. <laughs> no, it, it was it just really kind of hard is. to articulate it. <laughs> and that is the one that Will Krutsky is in that episode. Yeah. So, yeah. Like... yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I love the scene where uh, he's asking Dawson what he should do to take Andy out. And he's like, well, you could take her on a boat. And I was like, yeah, that's sweet. And then she gets so mad. And, um, <laughs> she doesn't love you. Oh my God. I love it. That, <laughs> it is, it that is a was good the episode. whole Yeah. I mean, that scene, that was the idea of like, so what are we going to do? We've been building up. I mean, nowadays, and not to sound like I'm a hundred years old, but like, you know, a uh, plot moves much more quickly nowadays than it did on Dawson's. And I mean, think about, so that's episode 20 of season three. It's episode 12. I think that we show the audience, you know, Pacey's watching Joey sleep. Like he's in love with her. Like she doesn't yeah. know. Love so it. really, we're spending, you know, that's eight episodes of like the audience knowing something that Dawson doesn't know. And, you know, that was a difficult time for James as an actor because he didn't want to be the person who's like doesn't know what the audience knows but like it's such great tension for the audience and it really was an amazingly well done story which Greg Berlanti you know was the engineer of that storyline so I I always said when we were watching that those episodes because Dawson becomes such a villain that season to me he does (laughs) I was like I wonder if James Vanderbeek was like reading these scripts and being like, the audience is going to hate me or if he cared enough to, to see that his character was changing so much because in that episode, the longest day, he is so mean to Joey in that episode. And she's like begging him to be like, I don't know what you want me to do. And I was like, dude, she wants to date the other guy, like let her go. And the, the amount of like control or um, that's not the right word. Like, how much he had over her and she just didn't want their relationship to change but they're like keeping this whole secret from their other friend it's like she doesn't want to be with you and she fully admits to him and he's still such a nasty asshole to her and i was like i wonder if he thought that they were like the audience was just gonna really hate him after that because he does become sort of like 
like really just annoying after that season he does but he comes back in season four but i just was always curious (laughs) let the man be hurt You say, yeah, you said he's hurt, right? Like, I mean, that speaks to like, I will say that like, like I said, it was very difficult for James to like play a character who seemed to be like, you know, not winning the girl and to not be likable, especially given that like, you know, that he was the hero of the show. He was number one call sheet. Like the show was named after him. And like, (laughs) he did question a lot of it. But I mean, I think obviously Jamie knows what she's talking about. Like the idea of like, how (laughs) do you react in the worst moments of your life is kind of (laughs) where the drama comes from. Right. And and if you react like, you know, a, a total mensch and you're just filled with light and love, there's not so much drama. Not realistic enough. I yeah, know. and especially they're teenagers, they got all these hormones and stuff right. going on. I have to remind Stephen of this sometimes. I I'm very, well I'm well very done. like black and white about things, and Jamie's like, "But no, you don't understand." And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get "We it. have, we have different perspectives, and it really balance, balances us out sometimes." Because I, I take things and I look at it in a different way, and he's like, "But no," and I'm like, "You're too close. Take a step back." <laughs> right, right, and that's. I mean, honestly, as writers, we always have to be somewhat taking a step back because you know, if you think about each actor is sort of thinking of it from the point of view of their character mm-hmm. and so they have valuable things to to bring to the table but as writers it's our job to be in the head of every single one of those actors and mm-hmm. honestly one of my favorite thing scenes i think looking back over all the episodes I wrote is that fight between Dawson and Joey in Dawson's bedroom. And I worked so hard on that. And like, I feel like Berlanti must've done a little bit to it, but I feel like it's also one of those early scenes. That's just like, I wrote it and they shot it, which is like such a thrill to see your own work made. And I, I just like saying to myself, like each person has to be right. Like you've got to sit down and you've got to write the scene once where like Dawson has all the good points. And then you've got to go back into the scene again and write it so that Joey has all the good points. And like those scenes can be so fun to write. And, uh, but it, it, and Berlanti was a genius at coming up with these things that like, you know, it should be a little bit like you're yelling at the screen, like, don't be such a mess. Like, you know, that's how you you get that that reader or that, you know, uh, viewer, you know, involved into the into the characters. You know, you got to make them have that connection because if they don't care about the characters, they're not going to continue watching the show. So you you need to pull them in in that kind of way. They need to get an attachment to somebody so that they keep following the story and they're emotionally like yelling at the screen. Like, what are you doing? Or, you know, it's the same thing with movies. Like, no, don't open that door that, you know, like you just, you got to make them care. So I, I was, it's brilliant. <laughs> That's well, exactly right. <laughs> it was effective because I was yelling at my screen at him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated it. <laughs> you appreciated um, the anger. <laughs> I was probably really upset that day too. <laughs> so you wrote the season three finale, True Love, which is where... My um, favorite episode, by the way, and it was released on my birthday. So I <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Gina did that. For you she knew that was gonna happen she end, said, of, end of may like... i guess yeah it was the 24th of may in 2000 yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um but that's where we have um you know joey it wait that's the one where mitch and gal are getting married right and the, yeah the boat and she gets on the boat with pacey on the at, the boat end. at the end and mm-hmm. dawson cries it's the crying episode and he's a total nasty jerk to her in that episode too. But she's like, I gotta go. He's and then she goes. And I know. But um, 
Uh, it is a really pivotal episode for that season yeah. because there yes. is such a build up to the uh, Pacey and Joey storyline. And she finally just like says, I don't care. I'm going to be with him and see how it works out. And she gets on the mm-hmm. boat. And when we finally see the interior of that boat in season four, it's like, that's not this, that's not real. That's not the same boat. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they go and sail away off together. And it is, it is. A I loved it. A really I loved it. We had that entire build up between Joey and and Pacey and then we finally ah dude it was like the best day of my life. <laughs> oh, no. When we were getting into season 3, Jamie was like I can't wait. I can't I was wait pumped the entire it. time. I was like I just love this season. This is the best season ever. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and I was sort of was like all right. I got to get like sold on it because I'm not completely sold on it. And there were times where I was like, okay, I totally get it. Um, And then we got into season four and I was just like, I got to get off. (laughs) (laughs) He's off the train again. (laughs) Yeah. It was just too much. Um, Which is so weird. So you're not a fan of Joey and Pacey? I was when I was watching it and I totally got it. Cause I was like, it's not abnormal for like, you know, people in friend groups to just be like, wow, I think I have feelings. It's not, or like as an adult, it's not abnormal, you know, your feelings just change. And um, I just feel like the, in the beginning, it was just sort of like, you know, the whole, it was a Dawson and Joey show. Like we were, we were supposed to have the two of them together and um, you know, watching it again as a 42 year old, I did appreciate it seeing that Mm -hmm. how, you know, the writers changed everything and got us on board with these two other characters that you would never even think um, Mm -hmm. would be together. Um, I I do think their relationship is very sweet because he really does love her. And she sort Mm -hmm. of like opens up her eyes a little bit wider to be like, he was like in front of me this whole time. And wow, I really, I think I really love him. And, you know, they go through- That's one of the great things about Pacey, I think, is just the way that he, he handles- you know how he expresses his feelings because it's mm-hmm. not the obvious ways. He does the little things. He helped her with the B and B, and he, you know, he he was doing stuff around without her even asking. Like he was showing that he cared without being obvious about it, and like without going, "Hey, I care about you." It was just <laughs> the way that it was a slow build for them. I loved it. So I, yeah, I think that's why everybody ships them so so much, and the yeah. whole. Dawson and Joey thing kind of fell away so I think it was brilliantly done to to switch those gears and it was I, I feel like their their connection was just a lot better Dawson and Joey never made sense to me even in the beginning of the seasons so when when you guys made that switch and we're like we're gonna go in this direction I hopped on that train and I rode it all the way to the end <laughs> I mean, that's, that's usually what I hear so that's why I asked the question about like someone not being totally on board with Joey and Pacey or not just I mean believe me back in the day like I still have the things that people sent like the Dawson Joey fans like would send us daisies to the office all the time and, oh, and yeah, like you know like the Joey Pacey people sent me a coffee mug that I still have somewhere like you know people were so into it at the time but I I mean I definitely did feel like the um you know having like I said rewatched the pilot a ton that there was this um screwball comedy connection that that um you know Katie and Josh had as performers and um that it it just was always there from the beginning in a way and honestly the I believe me I love those first 
especially those first 12 episodes of, of Dawson's. Um, yeah. But I do think it's interesting that whatever happened with the Dawson and Joey relationship season two just sort of confused me. I was like, I, I don't yeah. like, I wasn't clear. And so I guess when I was writing it to me, I was always just like, this is her friend who's more like family to her in a way, you know, and that like, and that Pacey is like this whole other, you know, kind of love. And also that, you know, I'm, I'm just love the idea of we were in retrospect, we were telling this story where, you know, the, the girl, the teenage girl had a lot of ambition and a lot of book smarts, which I think, you know, wound up like being written into the character by certain people, but um, along the way, and Katie obviously is very smart. Um, and so, but like that portrait of a relationship where it was the, the, woman who had ambition and the guy who was a little more carefree and like he's the manic pixie dream girl i guess is what i'm saying basically in that scenario and it it was really fun to write and and we used to joke at the time all the time like pacey witter friend to women and he was this creation of like basically like you know three gay men two straight men and a couple of us straight women who like threw in i guess like what we hoped and you know, thought were these dream qualities for, you know, this, this guy who would not be threatened by like a smart, ambitious young woman. (laughs) So, so, okay. So after saying all that, (laughs) um, so we get into season four and you wrote some really great episodes there as well. Like future tense, which is one of my favorite episodes (laughs) because it's it's only called the Joey gets drunk episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love the dialogue. I love the scenes that they all have. the The scene with the three girls, I always, always oh. love that. Um, yeah. And their their chemistry that they all have together is just great. And um, <laughs> but then we get to the finale, um, uh-huh. Coda, which is another great episode. But I, so we recently just did this one. Not that long. Yeah, ago. and I was going to say you might have to refresh me a little bit because I don't know if I remember they graduate from high school at the end of season four, right? So they Somewhere. graduated from high school. Uh, they had the prom where mm. Pacey totally loses his mind on her. For oh, of course, time. written by Maggie Friedman, I believe. That was hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was very hard. hard to watch. Um, <laughs> which made me dislike him again. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I'm I'm a total like Joey fan, you know. But I, we get to the finale and uh, they graduate. Pacey goes off on his, he gets a job on a yacht somewhere and he just like leaves. Mm-hmm. And we're left in Capeside. It's Dawson's last day before he goes to California. And right. they're all just saying their goodbyes. But we have this story with, it goes back to Dawson and Joey again, where she's oh. like crying and she wants him to stay and they they kiss at the end and I said so wait a minute I'm so confused because (laughs) we just had two whole seasons of this (laughs) this like love triangle and um you know the greatest romance of this show ever which is Mm -hmm. Casey and Joey and now she's she just goes right back to like her good old standby Dawson and I was like I would be like um, I gotta go to California. <laughs> we can like maybe <laughs> give like a goodbye kiss or whatever you want to do. But then it it goes all into season five too. Hmm. Gina, I'm just a little confused. I mean, and I was like, what is happening? 
that's like, fair because I honestly did not remember that. Like if you had to explain to me just now that they they kissed at the end of season four. I mean, I remember there being a very long Dawson and Joey scene in mm-hmm. that episode that's almost like a play. It's just a very yeah. long scene. Um, don't remember the kiss, just remembered it as like this, you know, connection. I mean, obviously there were always people who like, felt like, you know, that the Dawson and Joey part of it was the heart of the show, including Kevin Williamson. Like I was on a panel, I think once with Kevin, where he said, you know, he kind of explained why he and Greg Berlanti, you know, when they were doing that two hour movie, that is the, you know, two-parter, the end of Dawson's Creek thing, why they ultimately did decide to, you know, have 10 years older you know, Joey wind up with Pacey or whatever, because to Kevin, it was the same that Joey and Dawson was the heart of the, of the show. Um, so I guess, yeah, that just felt like we had to get back to that. I'm sure was like the, was like the feeling of like, let's get back to that in some way. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I accept that. <laughs> I was just sort of like, I was just sort of like, what is happening? I'm so confused. Right. There is like, there is like a line in the beginning where um, they're watching the, so the whole thing, it's sort of like a throwback to the first season. Like they're sort of like um, oh. doing a lot of um, sort of like Easter eggs from the, from the first, the pilot and like the, a lot of this dialogue, it's sort of like Jen says a lot of stuff that she said in the beginning of the se- series. Yes. And they end the season finale the same way they ended the first season finale, the first season where they're standing at the window and they kiss and you don't know what's going to happen when they get into season five. So, but in a weird way, um, I always felt like that was almost like a series finale. And I remember back then watching it, I said, oh my God, is it over? Because it almost felt like it wasn't coming back. And I I wanted to know if you, if you like, wait, are we coming back next season? Or are we writing this as like a finale? Cause that's what it always felt I like. For, I forget if we, I, I don't know if we knew. Cause I, I mean, I know for sure when I was on Parenthood that year, it was like, come up with an ending that could be the ending if you don't get picked up. And right. like, that's very common in network TV. And um, I know that like, yeah, it's possible. No, I, but I feel like we were spending a lot of time. Like, you know, we gave a lot of thought to like, you know, how are we going to, were we going to keep the show in Wilmington? I think we knew we were coming back. Like there's no way we didn't, we didn't know that. Like we, you know, we had to figure out the college part of it and where we were going to shoot. And also this whole idea of like, you know, originally we did not want to kill Dawson's dad because like that just seemed like it would make the show quite sad. And we just didn't want to do that storyline, but various people intervened and the network really wanted it. And it just wound up happening. So did he um, want to leave the show? John no, was- no, no. I mean, honestly, it was like uh, many people. I remember this now. Season four, people were people pitched it to me on the set, like just people on the crew because no one wanted the show to leave Wilmington. And that was one of the options. Like we could have gone and shot it, like, for instance, in Baltimore, or we could have shot it in Vancouver, or we could have shot it someplace else to like give it a different look for the college year. Right. But like, you know, uh, and, but everyone kept saying like, Oh, but if Dawson's dad dies, like he, he, he wouldn't have to leave. And like, you know, so it was an idea that a lot of people had thought of, Um, but I mean, we honestly, we just liked the idea of like, he went to USC and it was his dream and he wiped out, you know, like we liked that story because like a lot of people, 
you know, whatever failure is real. Like you you think mm-hmm. you're going to do something. It doesn't work out. Like when you're that age. And now that I'm so old, I know that like, you just got to keep trying and then get back in there. And like, everybody mm-hmm. faces those things. But, um, but yeah, no, John, he would have, he did not want to leave. I'm sure <laughs> I never talked to him about it, but I'm sure he didn't want to leave. What about, um, what about Andy's character? That her character frustrates me so much. I always loved her in season two. And I know you weren't there for season two, but season right. three, they made her so awful. And then they redeemed her towards the end. And all season four, she was like, she's just yeah, going through a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I will take, I mean, you know, obviously we, it was a huge group effort, but I will say that like, I agree with you. And I feel this sense of sort of like, you know, lingering guilt that like we never figured out you know better stories for Andy or what to do I mean I guess like I really did love season two the Pacey and Andy story so like as a person who just like is like okay you got this job it starts in three weeks you have to watch every episode of this show that was the storyline that really like did captivate me like I just thought oh that's really well done you know the acting is great the storytelling was great and um just really took the show to a whole kind of different place tonally um but they were like break them up (laughs) well I mean I think that like it was clear so early on that like this this Pacey Joey thing I mean I guess it's weird because it looks like it's set up in the first episode of season three. And I guess maybe, I mean, Berlanti, I think wrote that episode and maybe he was already setting it up there, but yeah. So, and Pacey and Andy, they had to be broken up and I don't know. Yeah. There were a lot of things that, that just fell by, by the wayside. So, I mean, that's, it is hard to look back and go like, well, you know, obviously it's not perfect, but like, that's the nature of like writing it all so quickly. And yeah. I mean, many people have pointed out, like, you know, we didn't have the greatest storylines for Jen often, and we, you know, could have come up with more complex stuff, but you know, it's well, Jen, I, Jen is probably like one of the best characters on the show. I feel like um, she, she's so not interesting. I feel like in the first season, but then they make her a lot more interesting. She's just, she's just like that person in your life. That's like, she's like so cool. You know what I mean? And she like, she knows everything. She's like, she doesn't get like so angry at you over stupid things. She's more mature than the others. Yeah. That's the word. I can never find the right word. Jamie's my, um, my dictionary, but (laughs) I, I, I appreciate Jen's character so much more now than I did back then. And, um, I I think that just goes for the writing too. So, you know, who who did you like writing for the most? <laughs> I'm the um, <laughs> I know. Hi, a god. No, I'm like I'm yeah, I'm not disconnecting. I just like I started to cough there. And I was like, I was like Jamie, she doesn't want to answer. She's leaving. I know I'm like dropping out of the um I mean, honestly, like that's the thing about this show it's like you can't even really talk about writing for a character I feel like it's like writing for two characters you know that like that it was a show about friendship and so like the things that just I personally most enjoyed writing were um Jack and Jen and Pacey and Joey like just those like if you you know like those dynamics you know that were like the most fun just for me personally um 
the first story I ever pitched was a Jen and Jack story that I, when I got hired and I was like, just having lunch with Greg Berlanti or something. And I was kind of like, you know, when you're new, you sort of ask the person who's been there before, like, I was like, I have this idea. I think it would be like a little story. It'd be like, you know, like four scenes or whatever. I don't know if this works or whatever. And, and he said like, yeah, I think that's good. And he helped me and said, pitch it, try it, see if it'll work. And so that was one of the very first things that I got to write was that story. And, and, oh. Uh, it's like a little story where like Jack is living with Jen and Grams and it's really, really hot and they go out at night and the sprinklers come on and they golf course. Yeah. So, I (laughs) mean, you know, the joke, it's kind of a joke because like, I, I I already said, I'd not have the best high school experience, but I mean, I, of course I never went on a date. I never had a boyfriend, none of that, but I have plenty of super great gay friends. So I could write that relationship quite easily. That came easily to me. Oh, we would have been best friends in school then, you know, because I never had a date either <laughs> or a boyfriend. <laughs> um, all right. So we're currently recapping season five and we just did um, The Lost Weekend, which is where um, Dawson comes and surprises Joey at her dorm. Okay. And okay. Audrey's in the mix now. And Audrey. Joey is trying to drop... <laughs> She's trying to drop a class with Professor Wilder's, I forget his name, his class. And yes. he totally like, you know, scribbles the wrong name on. And what does he put on Oscar Wilde, right? Yeah. And it was it was an author. Oh. I was like, she's standing in line like this whole time to drop this class. Meanwhile, Dawson, who came to visit her, is with Audrey. Uh-huh. So, um, wait, I had a point to this. Hold on. <laughs> the season premiere of season five that's like um, the first episode it's the five? second episode oh my god i may have written that and i don't remember that at all I think <laughs> it's did. been a while it's really okay we don't expect you to i know we're only everything. yeah we're only talking about the episodes you wrote <laughs> <laughs> hilarious because i mean i did write like 20 of them but like okay. i and i usually would i'm pretty sure i wrote like like the sec- 502 the second one of season five but i yes. don't remember that but that that sounds like something i would write if there's no plot to it and joey's just standing <laughs> on a line i probably did write that like, it was it was nice it was cool though because so i i like those those differences when you kind of break the mold of your typical like episode and how they plan out so when you have ones that are just a little bit different whether the sequence of events are out of order or everybody's singing or something you know what I mean like all of those one-off episodes I think those are the best ones in my opinion um so it's it's always cool to see when that when that starts happening I'm like yeah let me notice the weird stuff I'm ready. <laughs> um, I, I do remember my point to this episode, though. Um, okay. It was that Dawson and Joey, mm-hmm. they're so they're very confused on where their relationship is at this point because mm-hmm. he went to California. She's in Boston. He comes back to see her. And mm-hmm. I think he wants to stay in Boston now because the next episode is when Mitch dies. Yes. Um, okay. And I'm like, why are they? So there's this whole scene at the end where they're at the airport and Uh he's like, I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. We have to like figure it out and like, like talk to each other about where our relationship is. And I was just like, why can't they just be like, like, can't they just get it out? Why is it? have to be so complicated drama Steven. we need the drama no they just have <laughs> no. 
they have a problem that I'm having right now with is communicating what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Okay. I think, I think there might be two issues here. One (laughs) is that in general, honestly, like I, I feel like the idea of being either inarticulate or Mm -hmm. afraid to say what you think. So, and that of course, there's kind of like a comic angle to the Dawson's thing where they would like talk in all these really big words. But of course, like, you know, I don't know. I think the thing that I'm most related to in the show maybe was just being afraid to say out loud the thing that you really feel, whether it's, I like you Dawson more than just friends, you know, or like, I honestly, the episode in the end of season one, when Joey goes to see her dad, that's like one of the moments for me that, when I first watched the show and like, she's just talking to her dad and she says like, I'm 15 years old and every day I wake up and think that no one loves me. Yeah. And like that, that to me is one of the most like primal moments of like what the show was as when I was first watching it for the first time. And, and I think that like the idea of not being able to say what you, what you really want to say baked into the show, but also I'm thinking back. And again, I mentioned this already, but like, I think Dawson's dad dies in 503. And like, we had already season two, I probably already read that episode of television when we thought that Dawson was going to come back and like, just flame out at USC and come back there and go to college with all the rest of them in Boston. And then we were, this thing came down where we had to like very quickly kill Dawson's dad. So perhaps you may also be responding to like something doesn't exactly track there because it wasn't constructed to be that way. It was constructed to be another storyline that like we, I mean, I remember we, I was, we were working on episode six when they, and they were probably shooting episode one when somebody, when they told me, we have to switch the storyline and, and kill Dawson's dad. Uh-huh. So there was obviously all the, no, both 504, 505, whatever we had for them had to be thrown out. It was like ex- very similar to what had happened season three. So like, you know, it, you're probably responding also to like, it doesn't exactly make sense. Like when it's just, well, that but makes sense. <laughs> I, and it can be also, honestly, I'll own up to that. Like, maybe I don't know that I was the best writer of Joey and Dawson. Like, you know, I get lovely, lovely tweets from people all the time, or people tell me how much they love my episodes, but it's always the Joey and Pacey stuff. So, you know, maybe I'm just a shitty writer of Joey and Dawson. That could be. You just ship Pacey and jo- I mean, you just ship J- Pacey and Joey. I don't blame you. <laughs> You're so I funny. mean, maybe it is like, yeah, just sort of like baked into yeah my writing so that's that's hilarious well you don't yeah. really remember their scenes so G- maybe Gina who knows? I know. <laughs> just kidding no but you know what Steven was the same way in regards to 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 Joey and Pacey because he loved the first season so much he's like yeah. I don't really remember their relationship that much so when we were watching it again he's like oh yeah so I mean, it happens we remember I, things <laughs> I, there's a, the, a month Joey Dawson moment that I remember I was particularly like happy with is weird just because I remember the song and the song is probably not streaming because the music rights are all messed up and everything. But Mm. there was a moment where Joey and Dawson are like on opposite sides of her dorm room door. And the song we put in there is an Amy Mann song. And I love Amy Mann. And it's, I think the song is called it's not. And like, it was this moment where they're each like thinking I'm going to go back and say what I really want to say, but they're on opposite sides of a door. And that was, I, I, that's one of my Dawson Joey moments that I remember most fondly. Plus that fight, as I just mentioned, I loved that fight. Like, that was just like... I don't know if we got to that one yet. 
did we? Oh, that right. might be season six. It might be season six. Oh, okay. So, I, and I, I mean, it's not too much it of a sounds spoiler, familiar though. Like, so, I mean, <laughs> just yeah, I don't want to spoil the excitement of like two people standing <laughs> on opposite sides of a door and not talking to each other. Like, you know, <laughs> so tense. I gotta, I gotta wait. I gotta wait it out. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to look it up later. We're going to be like, what episode was that? <laughs> We're going to find out. <laughs> it's going to bother us now. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's probably every episode of Dawson's Creek. Like we probably did it like 15 times. And I just, it it is. <laughs> I build up. Oh, um, such good stuff. <laughs> well, you wrote a lot in season six. And mm-hmm. um, I always remember Joey Potter and the Cape Side Redemption. Um, I honestly haven't watched it. Like I said, we haven't watched it yet. But I do, I do remember that one where Joey it. goes to Paris, right? She goes to France. Yes. The, I guess we can spoil the, you know. Yeah, it was something that, like, as you know, as a fan of season one and two, it, there was something established, I think, before I got there about, like, Joey wanting to go to Paris or joking about going to Paris and being an artist and everything. And, uh, you know, it's not as popular as the romantic ending of Dawson's Creek, but my ending of Dawson's Creek is just the idea that like she got what she wanted for herself, which was like, you know, her own dream that of like, you know, just, I don't know. I grew up in a reasonably small town and my dream was to go to New York and become a writer. And it did actually come true. Um, Although it kind of came true with Los Angeles more than with New York. But so for me, when we were talking about the end of the show, I mean, obviously the, I forget at what point we knew that Kevin and Greg were actually going to write like, you know, the quote unquote real ending of the show, but we had to also make sure that all the storylines we had done were sort of wrapped up and we knew we'd have this chance to, to write um, our ending. And I think the showrunner at that point, Tom Capano's like, he actually did very much. Like, I think, let me have that in a way, or maybe he was on board with it too. And it was just like, cause I mean, I pitched the same thing when I was on the final season of Gilmore girls, like where the ending is Rory gets a job working for Obama's campaign and, or oh, she's yeah. a reporter on the bus and she gets on the bus and she goes off because, you know, the end of a coming of age story is about you finding yourself and who you want to be as an adult. Like, like, you know, going through all the painful, painful, painful stuff of adolescence. And, you know, and and so for me, the ending of that story for for those characters should be like, you know, kind of like finding who you are and not just finding a romantic partner who's right for you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you should you should go out and be able to figure out what your what your life is. And if you want to go to France, go to France. I always love that they that they wrote her going there because it was such a small thing that they talked mm-hmm. about in the earlier seasons. And, and I always remember the song. It's a, a trog song. I feel like that always plays in the, I oh, the end of the, yeah. the end of the, Oh my God. That's so funny that you said that. Cause the actual end, I mean, I don't know. This is probably not there on streaming, but the end either. of when we did it originally, it's the Hollies, the air that I breathe. That's it. Which was I'm like wrong. my favorite right. song when I was a child. Like I'm old enough that like that stuff was on the radio when I was, you know, a kid. And that's just like one of my favorite, favorite songs ever. And it's totally not, a pro- I mean, it's, you know, from the, probably from 1970. That's a good song. I always so, love that that song was in that scene. I loved it. Yeah. That's, just- so that was the end of episode 623. So did you know that it was like when it was coming to an end, were you like, Oh God, it's ending. Like, what are we going to do? Or did, were you like, 
we got to do another season or were you just like sort of like spent were you like I gotta I gotta move on <laughs> I mean I think like we all actually kind of there was a moment where we were pretty sure season five was the end and like oh, that we would okay. not get picked up and the actors all wanted to go off and do movies and stuff like that so they really were like probably hoping for it to be ending but I know that they were still under contract and I guess our ratings were actually good enough season five and so then we did get picked up and uh but there was definitely a feeling season six that we knew kind of all along that it would be the end and um I'm really glad I did it in retrospect um because honestly they didn't have a deal with me at the end of season five so like you know that's also an opportunity to make money when they want you to come back to the show and they do not have you under contract but um, it's really an interesting storytelling thing to, you know, to know that you get to end the show. And uh, um, like I said, I got to do it again when I was on season seven of Gilmore Girls and just like really think about, you know, like all those little things that have happened along the way and what would be the most meaningful for the audience to feel at, at the end of it. So it's a, those are fun, creative conversations to have. Did you like how the the two hour um, finale went? Like that Kevin Williamson wrote. You know, like I, <laughs> I have to say, like it just sort of hurts me that Jen died. Like uh, I mean, I obviously I know why they did that, and you know, Greg Berlanti was. I sort cried. Of, I was sort of was... doing yeah, like terms wow. of endearment, like you know, make everybody cry. Um, but well, successful. <laughs> yeah, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Um, but, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's just sad. I guess I, I wouldn't have had the guts to go so quite so sad, but um, yeah, it's weird. I sort of remember like, I guess, I mean, I watched it with everybody else. Cause I, I didn't write that one, you know, like we, we, I mean, we must've read the script when it came out, but like actually seeing it, you know, I was sitting there with the rest of America, like watching it to see what would happen. Um, so, I mean, and I, you know, I've, I actually really did love that time I got to hear Kevin sort of talk about it and explain, you know, now I'm worried. I don't exactly remember, but that he did somehow, you know, he just thought it through from every single angle. I think they also said that like, basically death was like another rite of passage that people should go through. But I guess, I mean, in my own life, you know, my dad died when I was 40 and like, I'm like, people should get to at least 40 before they have like really hard like losses because that's just like so sad but I totally agree um, with that (laughs) but and I I love that I mean honestly it does warm my heart that how much the fans love the whole Joey and Pacey thing and there's a wonderful podcast called Thirst Aid where they have a whole episode about uh Pacey and uh I during the pandemic and it's one of my you know low points when I like hadn't probably talked to another human being in like six weeks I just listened to that podcast and I just laughed and like you know it's just them talking about Pacey for like an hour and it's just hilarious what is it called (laughs) it's called Thirst Aid it, Thursday, they don't make them Thursday. anymore, but it's just like a really wonderful, wonderful podcast. Look them I, up. Yeah, I wish I could remember the names of the women who do it so I could plug it, but I can't remember their names right now. I'll, I'll definitely look for it. Um, Gina, do you mind if we just ask you like a couple of questions? I feel like you answered a lot of them as we were going along. So okay. you can like... Speed round. Okay. Let's see what we <laughs> What's your favorite color? <laughs> What's your favorite food? <laughs> What's your favorite TV Rapid show? Rapid fire. Here we go. <laughs> Which one of us do you like most? <laughs> it's me. I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the Gemini. I get it. <laughs> yes. 
right. Um, I'm trying to like. All right. I know a lot of these. We kind of like we're going through. I know. I'm like trying to see which one did we not already kind How of about, get an answer from. I know you said that the longest day was one of your favorites. Was that like your favorite favorite episode that you wrote? Uh, now this is unfair. See, it's like asking you know favorites. Um, the <laughs> other the other one is really Castaways, which is you know you guys haven't gotten to uh, season six in your rewatch. But episode 615 is the episode that I wrote that is just all Joey and Pacey for the whole hour. And um, it's really like um, one of the, I mean, there are, I'm sure there are many episodes of Dawson's that, I mean, I did a lot of the writing myself and, and the, you know, the various showrunners I worked for would rewrite me at different points, but um, Castaways is, is an episode that is all my own writing and I, you know, and, and my own rewriting. And um, I didn't actually get to go down there to Wilmington at that point to, you know, be there on the set when they were filming it. But it was just like, for me, it was like my goodbye because it was the last episode that I wrote on my own. And then I wrote the finale with, with Tom Kapanos and, and that obviously, like I said, I got to use one of my favorite songs and it was like very moving, but Castaways was really my chance to like, just write this show one last time that I had been, you know, just working on for four whole years of my life and living with those characters in my head. So that, and you know, it is, yeah, very meaningful to me. That's the episode where they, uh, Pacey and Joey get stuck in a Kmart, right? Absolutely. You got it. Yes. That's the one. (laughs) I had to look it up because I was like, what? I don't remember it. And now, and now it's all coming back to me. Yes. Okay. Well, I've ruined your season. They finally shaved his face. I was so happy. I'm like, (laughs) take that Beard off. <laughs> You've got a good memory. Okay. Yeah. That is a good episode, though. I do remember really, really enjoying that episode. Okay. All right. So this one, we, the other ones, like most of these, we've already kind of touched base on through our auto conversation, but this one was something ever so scandalous that the network was just like, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. Like somebody writes something in there and we're like, we can't do this. Oh, absolutely. Yes. That's the whole, remember there's season three there. Like we started to do this storyline that was Jen and Pacey have casual sex. And oh they yeah. Have- yeah. And like that absolutely got like nixed. Like that's it why it bothered me. <laughs> no, no, it didn't bother me either. And that's probably why like I didn't even think of that as being I mean, we we did the whole thing with Pacey and his teacher. So like this was like small potatoes right, right, by right. the time you got there. So I'm like, that was, he's already I think that's exactly what we were thinking when we came up with it. We were like, he's already done. He's already done this with the teacher. I mean, we've already went down this road. Nothing. This is normal. You know, like it wasn't that far. I mean, it's funny because since then we have like the the whole idea of friends with benefits, like, wasn't yet a cliche. Like, I think like those two movies, you know, like the competing friends with benefits. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) But like 2005 or something like that was much later. Um, like, but, uh, yeah, like that was, yeah, that was absolutely like just next, like not, you're not doing that. So, so silly. That's what like teenagers do sometimes. I mean, I did it, but that's what teenagers do in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they thought it was like too sort of like incestuous because they were all sort of like dating each other by the end of the series. You know what I mean? I mean, it Uh, was, yeah, it was. I'm sure there were, there were many good reasons to like, you know, and we just kind of had, I think it, I think we did manage to make that one somewhat graceful because it was just like, we started the story and then they changed their mind and decided not to do it. So like, you know, it was easy to sort of back away from without it looking like a gaping hole in the storyline. <laughs> uh, I have a personal question. Um, 
did you enjoy the escape from which island episode <laughs> again with this <laughs> that's the i think that's the one where isn't that where pacey and joe are pacey and jen like it's that's where they, they come start the yeah, yeah. They, that's where they kind of start their uh, little tryst on an island <laughs> okay i don't really remember that one super well but that would have been oh. like 307 i think and um like there was always like a sort of Kevin had done like the sort of Halloween episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Of like of um like I forget what the one was season he one. Did, it was um the scare or scream. The scare, or, yes. And like obviously scary. Kevin was like this huge phenomenon in the world of horror. Yeah. And uh so I think we did usually try to keep up like every year we'd try to do something that was kind of more in the realm of like a Halloween type episode or sort of in a sort of scarier thing. Oh, and my gosh, you know, now that I think about it. Blair Witch Project had just come out that mm-hmm. movie right yeah. like that must have been the inspiration for that right that movie was I mean I you guys were like actually in high school or something do you remember that movie that was like I saw it in the movies movie. yeah I thought it was like yeah. a legit movie and then somebody was like no they're actors Steven because I was I remember right. being on like my janky computer like first computer ever being like these people disappeared in the woods somewhere. Like, and I totally believed it. And then I think that was the point though. (laughs) It was was brilliant. Like brilliant. I don't, I mean, it was such a moment. It was unique for its, for its time. I feel like, cause it's not like a very common style uh, storytelling at all. So it was, it was cool. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. I think about a lot of people that way. Cause people thought it was real. They're like, Oh my God, somebody found these videotapes and this, this is, (laughs) this really happened. You know, (laughs) it was, it was, well, I just, uh, it was definitely well done. I just always, when we rewatched the Escape from Witch Island episode, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I always remember loving this episode. And then when we, re- we rewatched it, I was like, that was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember not liking it this much. I like the end, though, when you had to figure out if they were uh, ghosts. We argued over this. I was wrong. We found if out. They were, but... <laughs> if they were ghosts on the dock or if they were actual people. Jamie says that they were real people. And I said, no, they were they were the ghosts of which island. <laughs> like they're people that were scaring with... them off. This is a joke. <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> right. It was sort of like a Scooby-Doo element to it then. Yeah. Too. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yeah, no, yeah, we 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 did, we had a hard disagreement about that one. I mean, if you had said to me in the fall of 1999 that one day I would forget what's in Dawson's Creek, I'd be like, "You're insane." I'm always going to remember this, but like now, I'm like, "Okay, there's just too many episodes." There are. Yeah, I get yeah. it. I mean, we're already. In <laughs> Sometimes I forget things too, and I just watched it. So yeah. Um. Wait, what was the next one that we had, Jamie? I think the rest of these, I mean, I have one that is not on the list that I actually thought of while we were talking, uh, but it's more of like a, like a final thing. I don't. Well, just ask it. Go, go for it, Jamie. Well, all right, I will. Okay. So do you have any advice for any aspiring writers? Oh, that's a good, a good question. Yes. I mean, honestly, like, I don't know how helpful it is, but I feel like the only advice is always just write and keep writing. And like, you know, when you're not, if you're not writing, you have to be reading. And like with screenwriters in particular, it's sort of odd because, you know, that can also mean watching. But at the same time, like I used to, when I was starting out, I would be constantly watching things, including Dawson's Creek episodes, but also like, you know, famous old movies. 
Um, like you can see my posters for the Philadelphia story, which is my, one of my favorite old movies, but breaking them down scene by scene, looking at the structure, how is this created? So like, you can bring that back to your own writing and just be, you know, so much of writing, I think is teaching yourself and every new thing you write is in a, you know, I mean, you mentioned you've done short stories, you know, I haven't actually done short stories. I've done essays. I've, you know, tried to write like a book that's sort of a novel, but not really. And, and, uh, you know, I've done TV. I haven't episodes. finished any of them. I've got like five or six going. So I mean, honestly, <laughs> finishing stuff is the other advice. I guess it's the I, hard I, part. Yeah. People. Yes. Which is like, and apparently I, there was one point when I was just starting, I remember read this somewhere that apparently there is something when you get into a project and then you're suddenly like, oh, I have this idea for this other project. That's actually kind of like a form of procrastination. Oh, yeah. and oh I believe it. <laughs> like I, I had a moment, honestly, it was when I was writing that Ally McBeal spec, I think like that I mentioned earlier, which is that I was working on that. And that was really like my job at that point. I was like, okay, I'd had one job as a writer. I'm trying to get my second job. This is my job is to write a new writing sample that will impress people enough to like have them, you know, call me in for a meeting. And I was just like writing it and I got an idea for a screenplay. And I was like, okay, what if I did this, this, and this? And then I, that's when I, someone must've told me that piece of advice. And I, I bought a new little cute little notebook. You know, I love them to buy a little notebook. And I just kind of wrote the idea down in the notebook. And I just said, okay, you're going to live here until I finish my Alan McBeal spec script. That's, and- that's exactly what I do. I literally do like, like the thought, most of mine come from dreams which might be weird I get some really out there dreams so they don't leave my head like if I wake up the next morning and it's still in my head and like two hours later it's still in my head I have to I have to get it out um so I like I I all free write Mm. just 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 the the what I remember you know what I mean the plot and then it kind of starts to take a life of its own and then I kind of get to a point where I can stop and then I literally throw it in one note and a folder all in its own I'm like I'll come back to you you know (laughs) Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, that's relatable. I'm called out, but it's relatable. <laughs> I found, um, we just recently moved and I was going through like my boxes of junk and I found all of my, um, like I was, I wrote a lot of short stories too. Um, mm-hmm. cause I was taking journalism and creative writing classes in college and I got really good feedback. I, my journalism teacher was like, you could totally do this. And I was like, I don't want to be a journalist. <laughs> um, but I, my creative writing uh, teacher was like, you could totally be like, um, like a David Sedaris type. That was like the biggest compliment she ever gave me. And yeah. I would be working and just standing there and I'd get an idea and I'd write it down and I'd save it. And I found all of these short stories that I had just like, it's goes from like, like one topic to like a totally opposite thing but I was like I need to get back with all of this stuff you know what I mean and focus on that because I always did want to sort of like sort of like do a um not like an autobiography but like you know David Sedaris does books I don't do you read I'm sure you read him I love him I do really love him like from the second I first heard him on This American Life like years and years ago and I I feel like I've, I've, he, whenever he's in the New Yorker, I read it and I've definitely read some of the books and it is like just a, you know, unique kind of storytelling, both in his voice and in, in in his approach to telling stories. And um, yeah, I, I really do admire him. Yeah. He, he really is like somebody else that I look up to too. Um, But yeah, that's like, 
you know, like one of the the goals in life. So who knows? I mean, writing is obviously like, I don't know. Sometimes I realize the more I've been doing it, it's like, sometimes I think the way to think about it is just think of it as like, I mean, I don't do yoga, even though I probably should, but like people talk about, they have a practice in yoga and like, this is my practice. And I do this and I do that. And I do it, try to do it this times number of times a week or whatever. And I was like, that's just what writing is. It's like what it's got to be specific to you. It's got to be something that you're willing, like the process, as Jamie said earlier, has to be like <laughs> your own process and, and you own that and you come up with what works for you. And, right. um, and the thing that works for you is the thing that like makes you excited to sit down and try to come up with something. Yeah, that's exactly what it is when you're, especially when you are like excited to write that, that one thing out, you know what I mean? You're like, yeah got like your adrenaline going you're like this is so good <laughs> and then when you read it back you're like oh god I gotta rewrite this, <laughs> this but I mean, that's, honestly I am like a huge fan of rewriting I mean I I am as afraid as, as as the next person of the blank page but but I I was an editor that was one of my jobs in my 20s uh like a newspaper editor not like a film editor and uh the idea of just like you know a a I don't know. It's like a puzzle. Like, how can mm-hmm. this be better? How could this be shorter? How could it be longer? How could it be more clear? Like all those questions. I actually do really enjoy that kind of thing. <laughs> like, no, it's true. Like that's one of the one things that they tell you when you're taking like writing classes, like edit, edit, edit. And you yeah. don't realize how much sometimes you're using the same phrases and you're like, I don't need to say that. You know what I mean? Um, but speaking of writing books, you wrote oh. a book called The Spencer Diaries, a novel, which I was trying to buy last night on Google, and it's only the audio. I want to get the actual book, so I'm going to um, order it from Amazon. But I read, like, the first, uh, like, the insert that they give you, and it's really, really funny. And um, <laughs> I I was like, I wanted to know, is a, a lot of it based on, like, personal stuff, or is it all fiction? Very good question. And uh, thank you for that. Like, no, I, I, so the book is um, uh, very personal to me and it is almost all, yes, based on my own real life. So um, I really started writing it almost more as an essay. And then I just sort of like kept writing it. And um, in fact, I was writing a lo- not a lot of it, but I mean, I was working on it during the last writer strike in 2007. Cause of course we can't do any work for the struck companies, but we all can sit home and write every day, just like everybody else in America, we can all just like sit down and write what we want. So that was when the last strike was a hundred days. And I, I spent a lot of time working on my book because, you know, my childhood dream had really been to, to write a book and, and not to work in TV. And uh, so I just, I don't know, I worked on it so long and I got rejected everywhere. I got rejected by like zillions of agents and all the major publishers. But in 2019, I found this wonderful independent press um, that published my book. And, uh, so it really was, it came out in April of 2020 during the pandemic, um, which wound up being actually kind of a nice experience to have many people like, you know, I mean, obviously mostly it was my friends who bought the book, but, um, you know, just having people read it during the pandemic and, you know, it is also meant to be like quite funny, which was the other thing I really wanted to do when I, you know, first started in TV, I wanted to work more on the comedy side. And I've been lucky to work on shows that kind of do both, both things, but I'm, I'm really proud of the book and it's still out there. Barnes and Noble, you can also get it from, cause they actually ordered 
a bunch of books and then like, you know, the pandemic happened and all the bookstores closed. So. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Well, I'm definitely ordering it because I really enjoyed uh, what you were saying in the book. Can I ask you, this is like a legit personal question. Was yeah. it, so the character has a benign um, tumor. Was yes. that, was that based on, did that happen to you? Yes. So that was the beginning of the book. Yeah. So I actually, I mean, I'm laughing because I always say like, it's, it's like I basically won the lottery of brain tumors because I have this brain tumor. It's actually grown back, which is kind of funny. I have to go have an MRI tomorrow. Oh my God. Like, it's like, it's right here. It's right between my eyes. And it is the best kind of brain tumor you can get, which is called a meningioma. So it's on the outer coating of your brain and it's not cancerous. So it doesn't grow rapidly. Um, and the only disadvantage is that the bigger that it gets, it can sort of like knock out and affect other things that are back there in your head. And um, so if it's like in the back of your head, it can affect your motor skills. If it's near your ear, it can affect your hearing. And mine was honestly, all it affected was my sense of smell. So I was really lucky. I mean, I know with COVID now, many, many people have experienced losing their sense of smell. And um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's not great, but it's also like, you know, a blessing compared to all these other things. So that's really funny. Cause I actually was like, I'm like, okay, I got to go have an MRI of my head tomorrow because it, they took it out. Um, but it, it grew back. So, um, anyway, um, yeah, and that was kind of, I guess I just really did have this incident in my life and I started writing about it. And then like, I guess I just kept writing about it. And so the book became, but the book is very quirky and strange and it's kind of like about many other subjects, not just about the brain tumor. No, um, it's, it's very, it's very funny from the whole thing that I read. Um, I <laughs> well, wanted to, I really wanted to continue reading it, but I was like, I'm not gonna have time to finish it. But <laughs> I was like, I, I don't have it. <laughs> so I'm well, definitely ordering I it. But, I really uh, appreciate that because that's like, I mean, that is the, you know, the TV writing is such a dream, but it is, like I said at the top, very, very, very collaborative. And mm -hmm. so the one thing you don't usually get when you're working on a show is the satisfaction of just, you know, you arranging the words the way you want them to be and the story the way you want them to be and all of that. So that for me, writing the book was an exercise in being able to just make all those decisions for myself and figuring out what I thought was funny or what I thought was, you know, dramatic and just doing it all on my own without doing it um, the group right way. Yeah. And I like that it's set in 2006 for some reason. I like that. That's I was 26. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Before the iPhone. Before the iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, you said something about like, I didn't have my iPad and I, or my iPod <laughs> and I pictured like right. the iPod that I had. The Nano. No, it yes. wasn't even that. It wasn't even that. It was like an original one. And I, it's so like real thick ones. Like, yeah, I still have yeah. it. I just yeah. didn't need a battery for it. But mine disappeared. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where mine went. <laughs> it's just I mean, funny because was... you get these thing, visions in your head where like the things you're saying and in the book and I was like oh my god I know exactly what she's talking about <laughs> I mean it, it was like a controversy a little bit because when I sold the book it was 2019 and the the publisher was sort of like well you know I'm maybe we should update this and it should just be set in the present day and so I you know I really love her because she was willing to publish my book and I was like well I have to really think this through and think it 
think about it. And then I was just like, the book is a time capsule of the time that I wrote it. And honestly, it's kind of hilarious if you wind up reading the rest of the book, like that was the year that I worked on Gilmore Girls. So there are like many people who worked with me on Gilmore Girls who were there that year. And like several of them have read the book. And Um, like, you know, they basically were like, this is a time capsule of 2006-2007. So I'm glad I didn't change it because I also I just I I mean, I didn't think yeah, like, I mean, who remembers what was the world like before we had the stupid phone taking pictures and doing everything for us? Like, it seriously is. It was a very different time. And I appreciate it because I, you know, that those were my like prime years in my 20s. <laughs> I didn't no, even the early probably. 40s, early 40s are great years. You oh. got like having, I'm telling you, as someone older than you, those are great years. Honestly, I, yeah. Awesome. Well, right now I'm feeling like I look, I look good. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, it's weird. You you're like you you have wisdom, but you and you're still like, you know, you hopefully don't have an aching back and all the stuff that like 50 somethings talk about when they get together. But um no, I enjoy it and I mean, honestly, like I really like I love the way that like you know, the idea of people just being so passionate about something and uh loving something so much. Like I have a friend who just flew across the country to see Janet Jackson. Another one saw Natalie Merchant in New York and, and like, you know, you guys devoting so much to this podcast. And, you know, I think it just makes life more fun when you can you know, crush on something. <laughs> and we, you know what I needed, I needed something for myself. You know what I mean? And yeah, like my partner does tarot yeah. and he has like his own tarot channel. Like he's into all that and it's not my thing. And I was so nostalgic during the beginning of the pandemic. I just wanted my youth so bad. I don't know what it was, but I was watching old shows that I was watching as a kid and then going through like all my stuff. And then I was like, I'm making this podcast like I have to. And it's been such a fun project for me and Jamie. I don't know if it is for Jamie, but it is for me. <laughs> I know Jamie's not my husband. It's been a yeah. unique experience. Jamie's easy. I'm like, Jamie, we're Hi. having a guest on. And she's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to do. <laughs> but it's been fun to be able to do it and have um and um just how we're sort of like expanding and having like, you know, people on that we're actually on the on the show you know and i can only hope that we can even get more people to come on and talk about their experience on the show like yeah i just try to be positive about it (laughs) you know well yeah like i i really you know appreciate the chance to trip down memory lane yeah and it's been it's been really fun having you on here and um we're definitely going to link your book in our show notes and i also wanted to mention that you um because we're going to wrap it up i'm so sorry (laughs) we um (laughs) We, you wrote on Californication, which is one of my favorite shows ever. You wrote on Gilmore Girls and of course, Reunion, which people probably don't even remember. But you mentioned that you uh, worked on a show called Dare Me. Is that the most current thing that you're working on right now? So that was the thing I did right before the pandemic. We um, shot it in 2019 and um, it uh, it was originally done for USA Network and that's where it first aired. And then the episodes were kind of airing as the pandemic unfolded um, that spring of 2020. And so we did not get picked up for a second season, but the first season is streaming on Netflix because Netflix was the co-producer of Dare Me. And okay. um, it is uh, based on Megan Abbott's novel. She and I 
adapted it together. And um, it is the story of two teenage girls who are what they sometimes call frenemies. Oh yeah, I have. Everybody has a frenemy, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's also a you know a show about teenagers, which I you know am very much drawn to stories like we talked before about like coming of age and finding yourself and identity and and uh, Megan's book is amazing. And the only good part about being canceled is people can watch the twelve episodes on Netflix and then they can just go buy Megan's book and they can realize how the story ends. So, yeah, from- definitely. I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, I know who Willa F- Fitzgerald is too. She was in yeah. the Scream series, I believe. Yes, but- she's awesome. Yeah, yeah. She's so good in this. Like, I mean, everybody's great in it. It was such a dream. I mean, that was my first time being a showrunner after working on, you know, maybe 14 television shows or whatever it was like, you know, that it took to sort of get um, to that level where my you know, the pilot got made in the summer of 2018. And then we found out the show was going to get made and we made 10 episodes total. And um, it was just a wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, honestly, I'm just so proud of everybody who worked on the show, like, you know, hearing what else they're doing and, and seeing them in other things. And it's, it's great to know that, we only gave everybody 10 episodes of employment, but we, we made something we're really proud of. Yeah, I definitely want to check out that Longest Day-esque episode. <laughs> so. That one's number five. Number five. Okay. Um, but Gina, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fascinating listening to just how you even got into writing and w- working on TV shows. If you ever write an autobiography, I would definitely read that because it's it is one of those like just really lucky things that happened to you and you're still working in the business, which is amazing. So, you know... We appreciate you coming on and being like our first big guest who like wrote for these characters that we're loving so much. So we appreciate you for coming on. And, you know, if you um, ever see Kevin Williamson around, uh, whisper in his ear that maybe he should come on here. <laughs> we would really appreciate it. <laughs> I will. I will do my best. And thank you both so much. It was such a pleasure to meet you and uh, get a chance to trip down memory lane. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for your time and stories. Yeah. <laughs> and and for being so patient with us with our thousand questions. I mean, it's uh yeah. I do love to talk about writing and uh you know, that's why I I would say, yeah, like, you know, keep writing both of you. Yeah, it's a good thing we like to write too. Yeah. <laughs> um and I'm the worst procrastinator. You definitely called me out. <laughs> Um, Well, Gina, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you if you want to be found? I mean, I am really terrible at Instagram. I'm on there, but like, I am definitely like a Gen X person who has yet to figure out Instagram. Um, (laughs) And I'm on Twitter, which is, you know, a dying medium. Um, So yeah, you can, you can find me, find me there. We just followed you on our Twitter because I didn't realize we were following you. So (laughs) and Jamie, why don't you tell everybody where to find you? Yes, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at jlynn underscore book lover. And I'm on Twitter too, but honestly, I'm never on Twitter. So <laughs> beautiful. It's good. It's good, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to follow us, you can find us on Instagram at Creek Talk Podcast and on Twitter at Creek Talk Pod. You can join our Facebook group or send us any type of feedback or fun story you want us to read on our next episode at creektalkpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. 
And if you are feeling generous, you can give us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That would really help us a lot. And if you're feeling super generous, you can click our link tree in any of our bios and you can join our new Patreon where we just finished recapping the entire first season of the Dawson's Creek spinoff, Young Americans. And if you're still listening to this, then you'll know how that series was created via Gina. (laughs) So um, go over there and uh, join. You won't regret it. But for now, thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Gina, for coming on here. We appreciate you so much. And um, we'll be back next week with an all new episode of Creek Talk Podcast. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Gina. We really appreciate it. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you for reading my book and giving me a chance to tell people about it. And uh, this has been awesome. And uh, yeah, and it is something that I'm, you know, very proud of. So um, thank you for giving me the opportunity. You're welcome. Okay. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. She was so nice. Awesome. Talking about Dawson.